one of the really most pleasant surprises, and this is where it was really nice not to do too much research, is that I kind of went into this, I guess it was a national park area where there was a really, really steep climb getting in there. But because it had rained that morning, all of the trees kind of were a bit wet, but the sun was Mm -hmm. coming out. And there were all these spider webs, like which were across the trees, but because the water was off of, you know, was was still on them and the sun was shining, it looked really magical and really spooky, (laughs) but in a really beautiful way. And it was just very serene cycling through there. It was gorgeous. It was really, really nice. And then I turned a corner to go up another really, really steep section, um, which I actually had to get off the bike and walk a bit to this you know, temple, this like Buddhist temple where there was chanting, um, you know, coming from the temple. It was just very, very serene, very, very beautiful. And yeah, it just kind of reminds me, you know, why I do these things and, you know, kind of taking the bad with the good. And this was a really, yeah, gorgeous day. is the metal set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Hello, Dawn here. I hope you're all doing well. Before we dive into today's episode, I have both a favor to ask and an update for you. First, the favor. We are really honored that you listen to us and we hope that you enjoy each episode and are able to take something away from it. If you enjoy listening and would like to hear more episodes, please, please, may I ask that you take a moment to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. This really does help us continue in our work. Secondly, the update. We are working so hard at the moment to bring some new, exciting guests, and we cannot wait to release our new episodes very, very soon. So please stay tuned. So back to today's episode. Sadly, the summer is over. Looking back in hindsight for me personally, this has been one of the best summers of my life. I spent it with good friends, I saw new places, I had a few adventures, I challenged myself, and of course, there was a lot of time spent on bikes. I'll be sharing a podcast soon on my trip to Morzine in the French Alps, where I road cycled some of the most famous coals on the Tour de France. On that trip, I also bike packed my way over to Chamonix and did some downhill mountain biking. I'm looking forward to sharing all of that with you soon. But first, South Korea. If you're into pop culture, you've likely listened to BTS or watched Squid Games. There has been an international Korean culture explosion. But did you know that South Korea has some of the best cycling infrastructure in the world? Well, it does. And this past July, I had the opportunity to bikepack along the Four Rivers bike path in South Korea. Approximately 600 kilometers of mainly car-free dedicated bike paths extending from the capital city Seoul to the southern seaside city of Busan. I'll be honest, Korea was never really on my conscious radar as a cycling destination, despite being told about this path years ago. But this summer, a series of chance encounters and circumstances led me to a really lovely adventure on two wheels on the Four Rivers Trail. In today's episode, Afshan and I chat through what bikepacking in Korea is really like, the background on why and how I did it, 
what I took into consideration in planning, what it was like on the road, and if I'd do it again. I also chat through some very special hotels in Korea. Not to be missed, I give my top five tips on bikepacking and what I would have done differently. One thing that I didn't talk about much in the podcast is my bike, and that's probably because I didn't have to think too much about it. I just enjoyed it. For those of you wondering, I did this little adventure on my titanium gravel bike, the Curve GRX, aka Kevin. If memory serves, I had about 40 millimeters tires on the bike, and it felt like it was just perfect for this type of adventure. I put a lot of useful resources in the show notes, GPX files, links to useful apps, etc., etc. So please do check it out. And thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah. Hey, Don, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. How's everything? We're both back in town. After our very, very eventful summer, you definitely had a more eventful summer than I did. I spent most of my time in the UAE, but uh, you've been to quite a few places. Yeah, it's been a bit of a, I guess, surprising summer in a lot of ways because um, originally I was supposed to go to France, then that didn't happen. And I found myself in Korea bikepacking, mm-hmm. which we're going to chat about today. And then ultimately I did go to France. <laughs> Yeah, this summer has been, I guess, very, for me, very surprising. And also, yeah, just kind of all these amazing things have just come my way randomly. So yeah, super excited to, and all of them involve bikes. Yeah. So yeah, really. You've, well, I mean, that's that's your sport, right? You've been doing it for a while. You've been ultra cycling for a while. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's funny now, like, I guess last year I was cycling a little bit more, but this year feels like the first year traveling that kind of this cloud of, you know, COVID restrictions and things has fully been lifted. And um, yeah, I guess I really discovered traveling this year with a bike and or rediscovered it and really found, yeah, a lot of fun and happiness and adventure along the way. So we're going to be chatting about I guess the first of two things that I did this summer, um, two major kind of bike trips and yeah, the first one being yeah, Korea. The first one that we're talking about, which is the topic of this episode is a little bit different because I, I mean, at least I didn't know that Korea, which you mentioned is one of the trips that you did take, uh, was a place where you can actually bike back, right? Yeah. So it was a bit of an ultra with a difference. You've, you've done a lot of ultras for challenges, but I think this was pure pleasure just exploring a city on your bike and doing an ultra in the process. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even call it an ultra because I guess it was just pure bikepacking. Mm-hmm. Like I've never really, this is the first time that is it? I'm trying to think. Have I done any other bikepacking? No, I have. I have in Europe. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> but this yeah. is kind of, yeah, the first time since 2019 where I've packed up my bike and traveled somewhere by a bike that wasn't in a race setting. So, and yeah, it was Korea. I guess Korea first came on my radar in 2019. A friend of mine who was living in Hong Kong actually said, you know, told me about the amazing cycling, um, in particular this this route that I took this year, which is the Four Rivers Path, which basically 
goes from Incheon, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is just outside of Seoul, through Seoul, down to Busan, and it's about 600 kilometers. So I didn't even think about it too much uh, until this year and just randomly was thinking about where I should go for Eid, the first Eid. So we live in the Middle East for those who... um who are listening uh, outside of the Middle East. And, um, you know, I think we had about a week off and it was early July. So I was kind of like, where should I go? And then I just want to say like the universe conspired to send me to Korea because one of my really good girlfriends who I used to work with here in, um, in the UAE in Abu Dhabi, like 10 years ago, she was living in Korea or is, well, she, yeah, she was, she's not anymore. I basically saw her the last week I was there and, um, she just randomly out of the blue messaged me this one week in June and said, you, sh- oh, it's too bad. You didn't get a chance to visit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it really is too bad. <laughs> Park that. I go to the gym and um, was just chatting to uh, Simon, who is one of the trainers there, and just saying, I don't know where to go. I was supposed to go to France. I'm not going now. I have no idea where I want to go with my bike. And I was looking at Slovenia. And he said, how about Korea? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I remember that conversation in 2019 that, you know, there's this really long cycling, uh, dedicated cycling path. and My friend Kristen was there. And so I just messaged her and she was like, yeah, well, we're moving the week after you're planning to come, but come visit. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of it. That's yeah, yeah, my decision made this year to go bikepacking in Korea. So, I mean, the, the route was something that came up a while back, Yeah, but then you made this decision now. Um, How did you go about researching all about it? And is it easy to find this information online? Yeah. I mean... I've had a lot of questions and I had a lot of questions as well. And I just want to say that, uh, you know, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, I put up uh, um, my own Instagram stories. I put up asking for questions. You know, people were talking about weather and route planning and how did I plan my rides. There was also quite a few questions on accommodation. (laughs) After I posted one of the pictures of uh, one of the very special hotels I stayed at, um, but there's two questions I want to acknowledge up front in that, uh, you know, one question is, um, how far can you wheelie? <laughs> Which is a very relevant question uh, sent in by Chris. And the answer is very far, Chris. Um, so there you go. But the second one, too, I think for some of our new listeners as well, but kind of before we go into this, um, you know, people might not know much about us if they're just tuning into the metal set. And um, I guess to take a very brief step back into 2019, um, I entered into the world of self-supported ultra cycling, um, ultra, you know, and did four races um, between 2019 and um, 2023. And in 2019, I guess my first entry into ultra cycling was Biking Man Oman. Um, which I did after owning a bike for about three months. So it was a very quick entry into that. I'm not going to go into all the details about all of that, but I'll put in the show notes, the episode where I chat about that. And then this year, after doing three races in 2019, I did race around Rwanda. And um, I guess it was during that race that I kind of decided that maybe ultra cycling is not ultra cycling as in racing is not really for me at the moment. (laughs) 
I want to move on from that. So hence the focus now on bikepacking or the interest in it, which yeah, I'm hoping to do more of. So I kind of wanted to just bring those things up that we're going to be chatting about all about those, but we will put in the show notes about, you know, resources with ultra cycling. I think it's an amazing sport. And some of the race recaps we did with me and other women in race around Rwanda and, you know, other ultra cycling resources. So you can listen to all of those. But yeah, I guess going back to how I kind of set about finding out about this, I just started to Google, mm-hmm. you know, looking online for any and all information. And there's quite a lot, but it didn't really seem to to answer some of the questions that I particularly had about it. That's I believe, true. yeah, I believe I found a GPX file on Komoot or Ride with GPS, one of those. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. So people can use that because I use that during the race. Or not, and this is one of the things I kept saying race. <laughs> It wasn't a race. I wasn't trying to race myself. It's really hard. It's so hard to get out of this mentality of being timed. And I'll chat about that. You know, yeah, it was so hard during this, during this ride, this bikepacking adventure to feel like it wasn't a race, which is an issue that I need to work on. But to go back to research, yeah, just Googling really. And, um, you know, as I said to you before, kind of we hopped on, I do have a streak within me to kind of wing it <laughs> in a lot of ways. So I did a bit of research, but not a lot. I did, however, I guess the key things for me, I wanted to know that it was safe. You know, if there was any kind of things I should be aware of that necessarily wouldn't be found online. And Kristen, my friend living there, so kindly put me in touch with um, a friend of her friend who had done the the route, you know, with a couple of friends, I believe, last year or the year before. So I had a quick Google meet with him, asked questions, and that was kind of it. So when I landed in um, Seoul, I spent a week with Kristen and her daughter hanging out, eating, doing nothing. And um, the following week started on this ride. So uh, give us a summary because we will go into details later on in the episode, but give us a summary of what the route was. So what the distance was, what the elevation was. And in your mind, because you you kept thinking of it as a race, how long did you consider completing it in? Yeah, so the 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 route, again, I'm going to say race, this is terrible. The route that I did is called the Four Rivers Trail System. and um, you know, now doing some research after I've done the ride. It was created by the K Water Organization, which is, you know, a government organization there, I'm assuming, to really, you know, as it says on on the internet, rejuvenate and make the areas along these four rivers um, safer from floods and fix environmental problems. It is a dedicated, you know, for about, I would say, 85% of the the route is dedicated bike paths along mm-hmm. four rivers. So the rivers are the Hangang River, Nakdonggang, Gyeonggang, and Yeongsanggang rivers. And it goes through the center of the country, right through to Busan. The total path, if you start at the very, 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 very start, apparently is 633 kilometers mm-hmm. um, from Incheon to Busan. I started in Seoul which is about 
you know, 30 uh, kilometers from the start because I, I wasn't going to backtrack just to say I was starting yeah. from the start. I started from my interviews. Yeah, because it wasn't a race. I started from my friend's house um, and uh, we started there. And I think the overall elevation over, you know, this, what I ended up doing was 576 kilometers. The overall elevation was about 2,600 meters. So relatively flat compared to what I've done, you know, in, in when I was racing. (laughs) or other bikepacking in Europe. What's really, really cool about this, and I didn't do this, I don't really have regrets to do it. Maybe I'm not very sentimental, but um, it did look really nice when I did see actually one of these passbooks. But there's a passbook where you can get, if you start at the at the very, very start, you can get this passbook, which is kind of like a passport. And along the way, there's these little, you know, check I guess, checkpoints, yeah, <laughs> that look like, English phone booth, they're red, and they've got little stamps in there and you get your stamps in there. Like sometimes they're manned, sometimes they're not. And um, when you get to the end, you show them the booklet and they give you a certificate, a really beautiful certificate because mm-hmm. I've seen one uh, from someone I met at the end and a medal. <laughs> That's a very nice way of kind of uh, providing a sense of accomplishment to anyone who embarks on some such a bikepacking trip, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so nice. And I think, you know, one of the things looking back on this, so I started this really, really unfit, like very unfit. The morning I started, I was like, am I actually going to ride 600 kilometers in about four days? Because (laughs) I have not trained at all. But it's really nice for people who want to start long distance cycling, want to start bikepacking um, and do that. And yeah, to be recognized for that. If you're, you know, racing is not your thing. I think it's really quite sweet. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I had planned, I guess it's important to say I started this race end of June. I need to look up the exact date, but it was or early July. And I don't think I could choose a worse time to do bikepacking in Korea as the summer and rainy season. So, (laughs) um, so I wanted to do it in four. Sorry. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, that's one thing that failed and, you know, a a failure on my part in terms of research, or I I didn't know it was rainy season, but Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, it'll be all right. It'll be fine. (laughs) Just kind of hoping for the best. And I mean, I did luck out. I didn't, hit the worst of it, which happened the the following week when there was really widespread flooding in, in, in Korea. But yeah, I wanted to do in about four days. And I guess a lot of that was due to, I didn't want to be caught in any kind of uh, storm. So I wanted to kind of do it as quickly as I possibly could. Yeah. Which we'll get into later, but in, in hindsight, I would have it would have been nice to extend it maybe over six days or seven days even uh, yeah. to fully kind of experience um, Korea. So, I mean, when you're doing an ultra and you've done quite a few, you actually went into Korea before, uh, after, sorry, um, attempting race around Rwanda. Um, there's a certain element of precision when you're doing a race. It's, you know, there's a planning that goes into it, which, you know, on a vacation, you may not need that sort of precision. Yeah. You can wing it, like you said. but even because it's a bikepacking trip that requires four plus days or four days, uh, what factors do you personally consider 
for something that long? Hmm. Well, I did consider my fitness. <laughs> I did consider, am I fit enough and decided? I feel like personally, uh, because you've been doing this for so many years and also you went into this being race around, race around Rwanda fit. So I wouldn't say you were unfit because I do see you on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, my cardio fitness training peaks would suggest otherwise. But I think like overall looking at bikepacking, like, first of all, number one, is it a safe country? You know, like, is this place I'm going to safe, you know, from and, and Korea is very, very safe. It should be noted, like I used to live in Japan and I know Japan and Korea are different countries, but there's certain elements of similarities, you know, in that part of the world, particularly those two countries given, you know, history. But um, I knew it was safe. The infrastructure I took into consideration as well, like having a dedicated bike path for about, I don't know, 85% of, of this ride is amazing. And um, I think this is also informed by your races, right? Like these decisions and factors that you are yeah. now taking into consideration are informed by the situation that you have been or that that you were put in in the races. That in races, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, not having to ride next to cars, great. Having to, you know, being riding like riding on tarmac or other, you know, purpose built infrastructure, which there is a lot. Like, there's a lot of different. You're on tarmac. You're on like wooden. I don't know, kind of pathways and stuff like that. So yeah, having the infrastructure there, having, you know, I did think when you're bikepacking as well, like overall, like what kind of healthcare system, what kind of, you know, I guess outs there are, like if you get caught in a, you know, in a situation where you can't continue, there's a mechanical, you hurt yourself, you don't feel well, et cetera, et cetera. Accommodation, refuel options. These are all things that, you know, just to me, I didn't really sit down and think about them. I just thought Korea, great, you know, like sounds good. And also, you know, Koreans are really friendly as well and polite and helpful. And, you know, I know that about Korea. So yeah, that was those, those things all factored into my mind in terms of saying, yes, this is a a for sure. Yes. Hell yes. Let's do this. And I'm going to state the obvious. You're a woman. Yes. (laughs) So there are additional factors that uh, we as women have to take into consideration. Um, What were those, if any? Yeah, I mean, look, it's always bikepacking, ultra racing and stuff like this. I'm not a fan of wild camping, you know, like I will rough it. I do not want to camp. I just, (laughs) that's kind of my limit, like wild camping, (laughs) maybe glamping if I can do that for sure. But I want to be carrying a tent. I don't want to do that. And that's not only, you know, number one, that's a comfort thing. But number two, it's also a safety thing as well. Like I don't want to be sleeping outside. Like it just seems like you're very vulnerable that way. As a woman, yeah, I guess I considered... Again, all of those factors like, you know, availability of healthcare, places to stay, you know, kind of pop populated areas. You don't want to be somewhere that's too, too remote ever. And it seemed like, you know, before I started this race that, yeah, this was all perfect. I mean, Korea doesn't have a, Korea feels very safe. You know, I'm sure there's, there's crime any, everywhere and it takes one person, et cetera, et cetera. But I never felt in any way, shape or form you know, like, uh, danger to my person, you know, like to somebody, uh, doing something to me. So yeah, that definitely factored into it. Yeah. Again, 
we've established this wasn't a race. This was just a nice little vacation where you were bikepacking. However, kit and gear, there, there are some similarities between a race and a bikepacking uh, yeah. trip. May not be the same, but talk us through what kit and gear would be like on a bikepacking cycling trip. And uh, in hindsight, was it enough? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, like, because it was only four days, it wasn't like, you know, crazy uh, long distance or anything. Like, you know, I know there's bicycle tours and people who do bikepacking really, really long, like a month and stuff will carry a lot of different things if they're camping and all this kind of stuff. So I just took my race setup, which is essentially, you know, a bunch of tools, <laughs> you know, lights, a good light setup, which I didn't, I used a bit because it got dark early, but good light setup. Obviously, my bike computer, I had my aero bars on. So I had a front bag, had a frame bag, and then I had a saddle bag. But it didn't, I mean, what I took different this time was I had two kits because I knew it was hot and humid. And it was, it was really hot and really humid. So I wanted a fresh kit every day, fresh socks. So I washed kit daily, but then also had a fresh kit to put on. And then I took, uh, yeah, I took things for weather, raincoat. Um, other jacket just in case I did run into any cold weather. And I took a dress. <laughs> and I took a dress because it was just easy and it's very light to, to carry. Um, I took a pair of sandals as well, which I wouldn't have taken on an ultra cycling race. And I took uh, my friend Juliana was kind enough um, to give me and gift me a pair of restrap walk uh sandals which were amazing they fit over the um the saddlebag so you don't actually have to pack them they sit on the outside but they're secure there and they're really cool yeah just took some other like i guess normal clothes that i, I could how, change into um, i i love how commonplace and widespread bikepacking has become that you know brands are now coming up with the most sophisticated bags and resources for bike backers. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's I mean there's yeah, this has kind of really ignited my love of bikepacking and I mean the fantastic thing about bikepacking and touring and stuff is that you can do it any which way you want, you know, like I did it in a shorter period of time and uh you know, didn't want to camp and stuff like that, but you can go the full like camping, you know, touring kind of long time long term. So yeah, brands are kind of cottoning on that, you know, people have been touring for a long time, but now making products and stuff like that, that can, um, you know, can help people to enjoy this way of cycling more often. And it's nice to travel by bike. Like it really is beautiful. You get to see things you never would normally see. You get to meet people you'd never, never would normally meet. And yeah. I guess that kind of falls into one question that has come up from the conversation that you began on this this mindset that you kept thinking it's a race or you kept calling it a race, but it really wasn't. It was like a, a trip that you absolutely wanted to enjoy. Yeah. In that case, how are the decision what's the decision making like, right? Like it it'll be different from a race versus a bikepacking trip. So in terms of the decision-making that you had to do on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe on a challenge, you're riding longer, you're riding in the dark, and those sort of decisions come into play. But on a bikepacking trip, which is purely leisure, yeah, the decisions are different. So tell us, were those decisions different for you? 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like, I guess part of the reason why I felt like it was a race was because I felt like I was racing against weather. <laughs> you know, like wanting to get it done quickly as not to be caught in any kind of big storms or anything like that. So I guess the key decision for me was like, get a full night's sleep. Like, don't don't cheap out on your sleep. Don't, you know, cut your sleep short. Get a full night's sleep. Stop, enjoy a meal, you know, relax. And I did, I kind of was stopping quite a bit, like, you know, just sit and enjoy some, some moments in this, but it was hard. It was hard to get out of that mindset, but yeah, like not getting, I did get up early. I did try to get some of, you know, some of the climbing and particular on day two, like out of the way early, but yeah, just get a full night's sleep. Don't worry about stopping, you know, just yeah, enjoy it. No, don't really, you know, worry. When I was giving updates to like, you know, close friends and stuff on Instagram, I kept saying we, like there's a bunch of us. I'm like, no, it's just me. <laughs> it's just you, Don. <laughs> You're the only one here doing this that you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's hard to get out of the race mindset, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so let's get down to the nitty gritties. You've told us that you started in Seoul. You did. Yes at the start of this route that you had planned on taking. Did it feel welcoming and take us through the day as, as it went along? Yeah. So I woke up that morning, the day before it was pouring down rain. And when you're in Korea, you know, and if I had a eSIM, so I was, you know, on their Korean uh, phone network, when you're in Korea, you keep getting alerts all the time, which feels a bit like, I don't know, like the purge, <laughs> like these big alerts come through on your phone. And then I use Google Translate to look at them. And it was like, beware of, you know, uh, rain, avoid low lying uh, areas, you know, stay away from riverbanks and stuff like this. And I was like, oh, it was kind of stressing me out the day before. But the morning I woke up, it was a bit the morning that I intended to leave, which I did leave. I woke up and it was a bit overcast. And I was like, okay, great, we're gonna do this. Like I started off at about 8 a.m. in the morning. My friend saw me off, waved goodbye and um, just started. And I kind of made a couple of contingency plans, like areas where I knew there would be hotels just in case I needed to cut it short. Uh, but I was trying to make about 150 kilometers that first day. I said, let's just try to, you know, make hay when the sun shines, when the weather is nice, try to go as far as you can, just because there's no guarantee tomorrow might be a bit, you know, bad. So Road um, out. I mean, Seoul is a huge city. So you spend a lot of time riding along um, the Hanging River, which is really beautiful. Like, I would suggest to anyone, if you're going to do this, find accommodation in Seoul along the river. It makes it a lot easier just to hop on to, to, the, to the path. So it's really beautiful cycling through Seoul. There's kind of like an outer city or satellite city called Hanam. So once you get out of Hanam, it feels a little more rural and it's just, yeah, it was just really beautiful following this river along. There was a couple of instances where you're riding and, you know, I've got this new Wahoo that I bought like in the last year and it's got this function where it's like, oh, a climb is coming up and you're like, oh, this looks steep. You know, like, I think it gives you like an indication of what the elevation is. So I was like, I don't remember this, you know, being the today's not supposed to be a real climbing day. And then, you know, it was like, 
you know, counting down to get to this climb, da, 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 and you're looking and see an elevation, you know, see the elevation on the, the course profile of the GPX file. And then you get there and it's a dedicated cycling tunnel, <laughs> which is lit, you know, and it goes right through this hill or a little mountain or whatever it is. So there's no climbs. So that was really like a pleasant surprise. It was pretty populated the first day, like right all along the way. It was really beautiful. I ended up doing 151 kilometers and across 151 kilometers was about 530 meters of climbing. So not that much. The whole day, because it's kind of, you know, moving from a really heavily populated area, there was lots of people around. There were cyclists or walkers, people using the path. And kind of people using, you know, bikes for transport as well in some of the smaller towns that... So were the bike oh, paths really crowded as well? Not really. I mean, in Seoul, no, not not too bad at all. Like there's people on them, but they're, they're not... I wouldn't say they're crowded at all. Like there's... You always felt like you had space. Um, You know, no one's kind of... There were... In Seoul, there were big groups of like Pelotons and stuff in the morning. But um, yeah, outside of that, it was, yeah, totally enough space. Along the way too, and this is true for most of the path, except for the middle, but um, I'm, first of all, there's toilets everywhere along the path. Like even in some of the most rural areas, there'll be like a toilet, which is really funny because there's nothing Clean else around. Toilets? Sorry? Clean toilets? Um, <laughs> I would say overall most of them are. Yeah, like most of them are, but like there's some where you're kind of like, okay, like don't touch anything, need the wet wipes. But but on this particular leg, day one, the first 151 kilometers was lots of toilets, lots of refuel options, even bike shops, uh, you know, with people with like and tools kind of um, outside that you can use or pump and things like that. So I felt like for the first day, the first 150 kilometers, you couldn't go 5K without being near a shop or a cafe. I stopped in a city called Cheongyu. Chengju Sea. And um, one of the things that should be noted too is that booking.com doesn't really work in Korea, nor does Google Maps when you're trying to find things. So you have to download an app and this will all be in the show notes, but you have to download an app called Naver, which basically will show you where everything is and you can plan routes and stuff like that. So between my GPX file and this Naver uh, app, which I have my phone on a, on a, I don't know, I didn't call it, but it was like mounted on my, my handlebars. I found accommodation, which was like a recreation center, like a tourism center with, next to a rowing center. I had to go a little off piste mm-hmm. to get there. Um, sorry. Were they hostels? Yeah, it was kind of like a hostel, but I would say like a hostel plus, like it was nicer than a hostel. It was super clean, super new, modern, very cute. And, uh, I stayed there the first night. And that was nice. Yeah, it was about, I don't know, I'd say $60 US maybe to stay there. Like, I wouldn't call bikepacking in Korea cheap, yeah. you know, but it's definitely not like super expensive. And, my, you know, for, for what I was envisioning, like if you have a week in Korea staying at, you know, hotels and stuff like that. So, yeah, about $60 there. So after assessing the first day on the bike, the, the weather, the route, the environment around you, did you start structuring the next few days differently? Um, I kind of knew, again, I wanted to kind of front in. I was like, maybe I could do it in three days. You know, I was like, maybe if I got really, if I was really fast, I could do it in three days and stuff. That's just my brain thinking like race, race, race. <laughs> I should have just been like, chill. 
No, I kind of woke up that morning and I knew from some of the research that there was a hotels, certain hotels, like around a certain area. And I said, okay, I'll try to make it there that night, or I could make it like, you know, 50K onwards. So I kind of just decided, yeah, in the morning, how far I think I wanted to go that day. And um, yeah, this second day, so Chengju is Chenggu Sea, <laughs> is a really nice, um, you know, small city. It, it, I mean, small by Korean standards, but it was really beautiful. There's a dam there. So there's this big lake and leaving out of there um, in the morning was really, really nice. It was really hot. <laughs> Early in the morning, the sun was very, very intense. So I knew it was going to be a hot day. The second day was the biggest day in terms of climbing. There were two mountain passes, you know, one at 380 meters, so not super high. And then the second one, uh, 539 meters. So those were the two highest points. One's called Soju Mountain Pass and the other one's the Iha Mountain Pass as well. So I kind of wanted to start those early, but I ended up you know, not really, I don't know, faffing around a bit and ended up doing both of them around midday. So it was like in the middle of the heat. And yeah, I wrote on Strava that night. I was like, Korea, we used to be friends. You lulled me into a face false sense of security because it was super hot that day. It was so, so hot. And, you know, the sun really felt oppressive and it was really, really humid. So that day, yeah, was... As I move further away from Chengdu and Chengdu Sea and to closer to where I was ultimately going to stay, it got a lot more rural and it found like it, it seemed like there wasn't many refuel options. There wasn't many toilets, <laughs> although then a random one would pop up, but it just seemed like it was way more remote than, than day one. And before heading into, you know, before I reached uh, where I ultimately was going to stay, there was another like little surprise climb, which was, you know, kind of you're cycling along these beautiful kind of surroundings, mountain, you know, hills, river, uh, fields, really beautiful. And then all of a sudden, you're somehow on this like wooden path that just keeps going steeper and steeper. Which and yeah, which I didn't really know. I was like, oh, okay, we're going up here now. And then like, you know, a, a gradient of like 25% on some tarmac and you're like, oh God, <laughs> what is this? You know, giving you what you want. You're like winging it, you know, it's like. I know, this is it. This is what I deserve. I mean, in one respect, winging it is like, you know, you're surprised nicely as well. Like, I don't like to be so prescriptive of everything I'm doing, you know, like, so yeah, these are, this is the price I pay. I get surprised by like stuff like this, but it was very short. And then, yeah, from my research, there was, this town called Nakdangri, which had three hotels. One of them was called the Phoenix Hotel. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to stay there. And I arrived just as it was kind of getting dark. And, you know, Korea overall, like super, yeah, just really like beautiful, really nice, really tidy, really efficient. <laughs> and then I roll into Nakdangri and I was like, mm, this looks a little different here. And then, um, I was looking for Phoenix Hotel and I was like driving or riding past these three buildings. And I was like, this looks like abandoned building. Like this doesn't look like a hotel or a motel. And I was like, is this it? And I couldn't find the door. And I was like, this looks like a haunted house. <laughs> so I kind of retreated from Phoenix 
I was like, according to Naver, there's three hotels here. I found one. There were two guys smoking outside. <laughs> and there was a big sign that said Hotel Havana. And I was like, is this our like hotel? You know, and they're like, yes, yes, yes. And not really speaking much English. And I don't speak Korean. So I went upstairs and um through Google Translate, asked the lady who was very nice if I could see the room. And um, she let me see the room. And I was like, I guess this is my only option. <laughs> and for people who didn't, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, how can I show photos of this place? But it was very special. It was, yeah. I was just like, is this, I, I don't know. I was like, this is like haunted house meets love hotel meets a place for people down and out on their luck. I don't know. I think it costs like $20 or something, which is probably, I, maybe I got the special rate. Like, Let's just say you got the flamboyant room. Yeah. I don't know. Like round bed, velvet sofa, but nothing looked, I was, you know, yeah. It just looked like haunted house meets love hotel. That was the vibe it was giving. But anyways, I was like, okay, fine. I got the key from her and I went into town and um, got a bucket of fried chicken because that was like the only option. Yeah. There was a fried chicken restaurant, obviously Korea. And um, I sat down and uh, apparently it's not a thing to be like a solo person ordering fried chicken because they literally will bring you the whole chicken. Um, But then someone, you know, it was a family run restaurant and uh, someone showed up to chat to the lady who owned it. And she was just like, I was trying to tell her it's just me. I don't need a lot. And um, I think I got half a chicken. So yeah. So that was fun. So yeah, I stayed there as I was kind of like, I went back, I picked up some, um, you know, water and provisions and stuff at the the convenience store there. They're everywhere. There's convenience stores all over the place. Um, some, you know, a nice coffee in the morning for uh, breakfast and, you know, a little sandwich. Okay, sustenance wasn't an issue. At no, all. not what an issue. That you encountered during uh, the trip. Sorry. What were some of the foods that you encountered during the trip? Uh, I mean, look, the food, a lot of convenience store food, I'm going to be honest, because, and this is part of my own issue, like the fried chicken, obviously, convenience store. When I talk about the next day, I'll mention I went to a really wonderful restaurant, but a lot of convenience store food. But convenience stores in Korea, like should be noted, are amazing. They're, you know, the weather was quite hot. They sell cups of ice. (laughs) Which I'm like, why doesn't everyone do this? Like, so you always had the option to cool down your water, to get cold water, um, you know, and icy water and stuff like that, because they sell it with these pouches alongside these pouches where you can kind of make an ice drink for yourself. But I just bought the ice. There's all kinds of like ready meals in in the convenience stores, like these kind of little triangles of rice um, with fillings and uh, wrapped in seaweed, which I ate. I really am a big fan of like this red bean paste sweets and ice creams and stuff like that. So yeah, food was never, never, never an option. So yeah, that was day two. That was about 131 kilometers, 950 meters of climbing. Yeah. So a quote unquote big day climbing for that. Yeah. And then how did the next few days go? Do you have any highlights and lowlights that you would like to share? Yeah. So I'll kind of skip through the next few days kind of together, but the next day I wanted to go about a hundred kilometers. You know, at this point I was like, I needed about 200 kilometers to go. So I was thinking I could finish this in four days. No problem. Next day riding along got 
totally drenched. Like the heavens opened up. It was just a torrential downpour. But what happened was I was really fortunate that that happened right as I was kind of in a bigger, on the edge of a bigger city called Daegu, which is a university town. And I was staying at the, at the area where the university, so it was like a whole bunch of hotel options, really nice restaurants. I rode in there, like, I can't tell you. Yeah, it was like biblical, the rain. It was so <laughs> rainy. So I rode in, there was a bunch of hotels. I knew that they were around. And um, a lot of people, I think, you know, were a bit shy dealing with me. I show up like a drowned rat, soaking wet, you know, this big foreigner <laughs> with a bike. And I actually found a really, really lovely hotel where um, the lady who was working there was so helpful and kind and gave me cookies and like orange juice when I came in, which was really nice. Um, I had an area for my bike and off the reception. So I stayed there, but I went to a wonderful restaurant there just around the corner. It was because it didn't look like the rain was letting up. Got bibimbap, got uh chatting to the lady who who ran it, who um whose son actually was going to university in Canada. So she spoke a bit of English and we were just chatting and then she kind of gave me some food on the house, which was super sweet and kind of her. So I just kind of had that day to just chill out and rest and um think about my iPhone, which I think was dying. The next day, yeah, because it got so wet during during the ride. Luckily, you know, I I rode to this town and took. Uh, there was a big toilet, so there's like <laughs> there's many different layers of toilets there, but like this one was a big one that had like a hallway between the two toilets. So I was just kind of hanging out in this like rest area um, to see if the rain would stop, and it didn't. The next day, day four, I did 133 kilometers, about 830 meters of climbing. And that was probably one of the most peaceful and beautiful days. You know, I rode out in the morning. The sun was, you know, the sun was shining, but it was a bit overcast as well. It was maybe threatening to rain, but had really light rain, very some steep, steep, short climbs. And, uh, one of the really most pleasant surprises. And this is where it was really nice not to, you know, not to um, do too much research is that I kind of went into this, I guess it was a national park area where there was a really, really steep climb getting in there. But because it had rained that morning, um, all of the trees kind of were a bit wet, but the sun was mm -hmm. coming out and there were all these spider webs, like which were across the trees, but because the water was off of, you know, was, was still on them and the sun was shining, it looked really magical and mm -hmm. really spooky, <laughs> but in a really beautiful way. And it was just very serene cycling through there. It was gorgeous. It was really, really nice. And then I turned a corner to go up another really, really steep section, um, which I actually had to get off the bike and walk a bit to this, you know, temple, this like Buddhist temple where there was chanting, um, you know, coming from the temple. It was just very, very serene, very, very beautiful. And yeah, it just kind of reminds me, you know, why I do these things and, you know, kind of taking the bad with the good. And this was a really, yeah, gorgeous day. Uh, you had signs all along the way on this bike path? Uh, yeah, there's signs, little signs to show you you're on the bike path. Mm. Obviously, I had my bike computer and a GPX file mm. to follow um, and navigation. But there are little signs that will say, yes, this is the bike path, like the Four Rivers mm. bike path. I mean, 
I'm trying to think from memory. I think most of it was in Korean. So it was just like, you see the little symbol, you know, mm-hmm. there's a little symbol like for, you know, kind of little things about the, the bike path, but there's really not tons of English signage in, in Korea, full stop. That night I ended up in another hotel <laughs> and I know people are going to be asking about this, but having lived in Japan, I know in Japan, there are things called love hotels where couples will go to get some <laughs> privacy, shall we say. Korea, there also seems to be these hotel options. Yeah. I think they're a little different in Korea in that they're, you know, I found this hotel in this town called Susan. And I was like, surely this isn't a love hotel because there's Google reviews. <laughs> People are reviewing it on Naver. I'm like, who would review a love hotel if if that's in fact what it is? Yeah. Um, but having arrived at the hotel, one of the telltale signs <laughs> for this being this sort of hotel is that when you check in, there's actually like, you know, you don't check in at a normal desk. You kind of check into a window where you don't actually see the person you're checking, who's checking you in. <laughs> um, so it was a bit interesting. I mean, a hotel was super clean, super comfy, had a really big jacuzzi. <laughs> All to yourself? All to myself, yes. And um, so it was really, really That's funny. Actually. Sorry? That to me is luxury. Yeah, look, trip. this hotel I stayed in that night was probably the nicest hotel I stayed in in Korea. Well, no, no, no. The night before was really nice, but this was up there as well. It, it was really nice. If it was a love hotel, it was like a premium love hotel. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is about love hotels, and they're great for ultra cycling or ultra racing, is that you don't have to like take them for the whole night. You can take them, I think, for like five, six hours. So apparently... And they have a jacuzzi. But apparently, yeah, I was doing some reading on this like after the fact. And uh, it seems like business people, you know, who are traveling and stuff like this will sometimes take these places as well to, you know, get cleaned up, rest a little bit if they've got a, you know, if they're traveling and stuff like that. So yeah, stayed at that hotel. And then the next day was the final 70K to Busan, you know, as you were getting closer to Busan, or see, we, I will say we, as I'm getting closer, because I was there alone, I was not on a race. As it was getting closer, it was getting, the the path was getting more populated with cyclists, um, you know, not people traveling by bike, but people recreationally cycling. I think I rolled in there on like a, a Saturday. So um, people were out enjoying the weekend morning. It was just really beautiful. Like there were some paths, wooden paths along the river um, that are winding you know, weaving around, around the cliffs and, you know, rode down those. And it was really beautiful going into, um, into, uh, Busan and that day. So I never really met many Westerners on, um, on, on my travels on the, in the previous few days, I was chatting to a guy in the, the highest point, um, one of those mountains, um, a young Korean guy who was trying to do the, this ride as fast as he could. <laughs> and he was super fast. He was like speeding past me. But I ran into um, two bikepackers like who were touring and touring mode, Karen and Ruben. So um, Karen's from Colombia. Ruben was Spanish and French. So I was chatting to them along the way and they did the, they were bikepacking in Japan before and they were taking the stamps the whole 
along the way. So mm. met them and then saw them at the end as well. So they showed me their medal. So yeah, that was it. That was my uh, four and a half day bikepacking adventure. And can you um, carry your bike onto the public transport? Suppose you want to kind of alter the route a little bit and you want to kind of stay in a certain place. Can you move in and out of public transport with your bike? Uh, No. <laughs> so which is, I think apparently in the big cities on the weekend, you can take your bike on a train like in Busan and Seoul, but only on the weekends. Otherwise, you're, you should be riding it. And when I arrived into Busan, um, I rode past where the end was because the GPX file went past it. So I didn't realize I was riding past it. But I booked a hotel that was very, like, this is kind of on the outskirts of the city. I booked a hotel that was in the middle of the city near Busan station, like the main train station. And riding into Busan was probably the, my least favorite part of it because Yes, there's a lot of cycling infrastructure, but in the cities, a lot of the footpaths are mixed use, bike and for pedestrians, but that's people riding their bike, you know, not clipped in, just kind of for transport, just in their neighborhood kind of thing. So riding into Busan was a bit stressful because I was riding on the road a bit and didn't feel like just the cars were really used to cyclists on the road there. Um, getting out of Busan, so I spent a couple of days in Busan and just to your point about public transport, I took the bullet train back to Seoul and I read somewhere that you shouldn't take your bike on the train. And I decided to ask for forgiveness rather than permission and just brought my bike on <laughs> and plead ignorance when anyone asked me. And I think uh, they were kind of like, oh, just let her do it. <laughs> Which, I mean, I was careful to to put the bike near, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I secure, I bought some like uh, little bungee cords and secured it where the luggage is. So it wasn't in people's way necessarily and did keep an eye out for it. But yeah, I kind of knew I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyways. And kind of like, yeah, I was like, sorry, but they asked me if I could take apart the bike and I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> So yeah, so that was kind of, yeah, the only kind of thing. But I made it. I made it back to, to Seoul. So if there were five tips that you would give to anyone who may consider doing this, uh, what would they be? Okay, yeah. So I thought about this. Number one, choose your season wisely. If I do it again, I'd go in May or I'd go between September to November. And obviously September, because it's less cold than November, but I would go either yeah May before it gets too hot, before rainy season, or September to November. That would be number one. Uh, number two would be to download Naver and have a look in your research already, like kind of against the path. So if you put in Naver just, um, you know, which is like a Google map type of app, um, if you put, you know, Seoul to Busan, it'll give you this path. It'll give you the four rivers path and you can see where clearly there's accommodation along the way and just kind of have a look through that. To the third point, I would be plan ahead with accommodation in some respects or know where there's pockets of accommodation, you know, along the way. Um, so you're not caught out in any instance, just from a safety point of view, like you don't need to book ahead. Uh, although I'm sure that would be helpful. I, you know, I, I found it easy, but just plan ahead with accommodation and also things to look at, you know, mm -hmm. as well, like 
things, points of interest, things you might want to explore, which goes to the fourth point, take your time. Like I did this in four and a half days. If I did it in another time of year, I would say, you know, I would take my time and enjoy, stop and eat at restaurants more rather than just convenience stores, explore around areas. Cause I'm sure there's things that I've missed as well. Like that would be nice to see. And then the last point is don't overthink it. Just do it. You know, yeah. like it's not complicated. You'll figure stuff out along the way. We have, you know, obviously get an eSIM. Like I would never not be in communication or have communications, but like when you have a phone, you have Google Translate, you have a wealth of information and ways to figure stuff out. So and don't this over- episode to uh, fall back on. Yes. And this episode to fall back on <laughs> for what it's worth. But yeah, don't ever think it, just enjoy it. Like I would say half plan it and then half wing it. Like just kind of, you know, let leave room for, for fun, funny things to happen. Um, yeah, for, for magic. So don't ever think it, you're a good enough cyclist. If I did it as unfit as I was, you'll be fine. Yeah. Just, just do it. Will you do it again? Um, yeah. I don't know if I do this exact route just because I've done it before, but like there's other, there's other big long cycling paths or, you know, routes in, in South Korea that I would definitely look at doing. So there's one on the East coast. Um, I just wish more countries had this type of infrastructure, to be honest, like not having to ride next to cars is such a treat. <laughs> like it is such, yeah, an experience not to have to worry about, you know, cars around you or behind you or anything like that. It was phenomenal. Like, yeah, if anyone knows of any other countries, like, I mean, I'm looking at Slovenia next year at some point. I think that would be amazing because I've heard it's really nice recycling, but like to have this type of infrastructure and I have been to the Netherlands, obviously, like I've done bikepacking in the Netherlands down to Luxembourg, but yeah, just, I loved it. I loved these. Yeah. It was just really nice. It was beautiful and people were nice and yeah, it was just fun. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, before we hopped on to this, uh, call for the episode, uh, I went through some of the, uh, online, uh, resources on, uh, Korea and bikepacking there. So for sure, it's something that I will start considering, uh, yes. soon enough. And you should do yeah. it totally a hundred percent. Like, yeah, it's, Perfect. If you want to try out long distance cycling, you know, bike packing, Korea is perfect. It's a safe way to do it. It is a totally safe way to do it. I mean, there's language barriers, yes, but that's part of the fun, you know, yeah. figuring stuff out, being a stranger in a strange land, you know, like, yeah, you have Google Translate. There's just, yeah, try new foods, like, have moments, be on these, you know, see places that you wouldn't see necessarily no, um, yeah in any other way like mm. actually like in hindsight like Seoul it was great catching up with my friend but I'm not a big city person you know not at all like yeah the time on the road was just my favorite part of Korea like mm. I wouldn't go back just to go to Seoul yeah. I would go back for cycling um, in another part of rural Korea so yeah just do it yeah Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Don, for giving us the lowdown of one part of your summer. Thank you for interviewing me. Yeah. And we will be back at some point to chat about everything that's coming up on the Metal Set podcast. Yes. 
Thank you so much for listening. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.